This is the Real Estate Foundation, your show for massive action with proven results. Raise your life and your legacy with real estate. Are you ready to take your multifamily game to the next level? Well, you need to join us October 12th, Saturday, October 12th, for our one-day multifamily foundation workshop. We're going to bring it to you live. We got a list of 15 speakers that are going to go through the process of everything it takes to get your mind right, get the deal right, learn the terms, understand the markets, learn how to find the deals, learn how to underwrite the deals, learn how to put your team together, everything from property managers to brokers to insurance companies. Beyond that, what's the proper way to raise funds for a deal and how to close a deal and what to do after you take over a deal. So it's going to be a huge event. It's going to be awesome for you to join us. Got a great space. It's going to be here in New Jersey, in Springfield, New Jersey. Of course, it's going to be a one-day event, but we got everything packed in from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. Right now, if you put in the code workshop, you're going to get a special discount. And again, that code is workshop, but you need to go to multifamilyfoundationworkshop.com. Again, www.multifamilyfoundationworkshop.com and go fast because we've sold a ton of tickets for this. I actually was able to get a bigger room, so but that's filling up quickly as well. So again, www.multifamilyfoundationworkshop.com. Put in the code uh, workshop. There we go. Got that down and look forward to seeing you so we can all take massive action together. Well, hello again and welcome to another edition of the Real Estate Foundation podcast. Thanks for coming back in with us. We have a special day here. We are actually down in Trenton at Hive Studios for PodMax with On Air Brands. And this is going to be coming to you out in a few months, but from here, you can always go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating review or any review for that context. We just want to hear from you. Go there, tell us what you like, tell us what's working, tell us what we can do better so we can bring you the best value. But you're going to have no problem with that today because we are super excited. we got a great guest with you today, uh, Shamel and Farhan Malik. Hey, guys. How are you? Doing well, Jason. Great. Happy to be here. Well, happy, happy to be to here, Jason. You. Good, good. So this is exciting. We're actually having a, literally a live interview with them right here with us. And so Shamal and Farhan are from Apex Capital Group, which provides turnkey cash flow properties for investors in New Jersey, Ohio, Baltimore, and Lehigh Valley markets. They've been very active wholesaling and rehabbing business in the state of New Jersey and have raised close to $40 million in private capital and completed over 600 real estate transactions. Wow, six hundred. Is that 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 was correct, right? That's correct. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome, so. guys. So, so talk to me here. So, when did you get started, and why? So we've been at it quite some time. Farhan got started uh, before I did. Um, started as real estate agents when we were in college. Uh, introduced through a friend that was a downline in multi-level marketing. So I had recruited him into a company that was going head to head against America Online. Remember back in those days yeah. when we had dial-up yeah. service? So we were building a company uh, th that was um, recruiting folks and uh, had about 240 downlines. This kid was the son of the gentleman that master franchised Keller Williams all across New Jersey. And so uh, we got started in real estate going to you know real estate school, got together with Keller Williams, and then we were learning real estate as agents back in those days, driving up from Rutgers all the way up to uh, North Bergen, New Jersey. Um, fast forward a couple of years, he took a different route, and Farhan will tell you about it, but I went into pharmaceutical selling um, and then kind of grew there in uh, training and then management and so on. 
08, uh, my journey was that I watched him do a six-figure deal. Uh, I think it was like $130,000. and it was the only deal he did that year. And I was sitting at home. Well, I was at work in my corporate job thinking, you know, I'm going to have to work the entire year, and I won't even make that much. And so I started looking at that, and he told me a little bit about bandit signs and all this stuff that I was kind of seeing and, and exposed to. And in those days, uh, short sales were a big thing. So buy these properties 20 to 60 cents on the dollar, buy it at 9 o'clock, sell it at 9.30, you know, half hour later in your attorney's uh, office and walk out with a $50,000 check, like that sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Right after Lehman crashed and, you know, the domino effect took place and banks defaulted one after another. So that's what we were doing in those days. And then that kind of evolved into the HGTV stuff where you um, rehab houses because banks started stipulating that you have to hold the properties. So there were deed restrictions and things like that that came into play. So we started renovating homes and then, and then selling them. That then evolved into new construction that we did in Jersey City. And, uh, and then after that, our investors who would, you know, uh, put funds into these properties started saying, look, I like doing these rehab fix and flips. Do you have something where I could get more consistent income? And so what we were doing was I was taking all the money that I was making in corporate and also from my rehab flips, and we were buying rental properties, uh, single families, uh, smaller multifamily units, uh, just to increase that residual income so that it exceeds our expenses and hopefully we could be financially independent. And so that was the path that I took. I said, look, this is what I do with my money. Uh, I could pretend to act like I know about the stock market and I'm you know, no good enough, but I know real estate really well. Uh, eat it, sleep it, breathe it. Um, and so this is where I park my money. And so we started basically taking the rental properties that would come to us. And of course, our capital is finite. So we would just wholesale it to our own uh, clientele. And what we saw in the market was that, well, people didn't want to hire a general contractor, uh, you know, a, a physician that's busy doing surgeries all day long, doesn't want to go and hire a GC to do the renovations and then a leasing agent. And it was just a really fragmented market. And so we came up with this idea of turnkey properties, which of course has been done before. We didn't pioneer it. Uh, and we saw bigger operators around the country, Memphis Invest and others that are doing similar work, but nobody was doing it in New Jersey at the time. And so we put this whole turnkey platform together where working professionals could invest into real estate um, uh, predominantly in single family, you know, duplexes, duplexes, threeplexes, and fourplexes, and so on. So, so that's kind of uh, grown. Um, we've got several departments within our company. Uh, we wholesale properties. We rehab, fix, and flip properties. Uh, we have a buy and hold uh, division that just kind of uh, handles uh, rentals for our own personal portfolio, and then we also um, uh, sell these turnkey properties. And so, Farhan, you, you, you started first, right? What was your first step into this? So, um, this is going back about 10, 12 years now, but nice. uh, I was working um, at Johnson & Johnson and also finishing up my last semester at school. Um, so, we're, we're both Pakistani-Americans, and our parents, uh, they didn't go to school here. Uh, they weren't brought up here, so they had a very... Uh, secure and safe mentality. And, you know, it's nothing against them, but uh, they're a little bit adverse to risk. So uh, they wanted him to be a doctor and me to be an engineer. Mm. So um, when I got into Rutgers, I got into the engineering school, but my Friday was literally uh, advanced calculus, physics, and uh, I think uh, 
organic chemistry, but it was like three really hard subjects on a Friday. I was like, I'm not cut out for this. Like, I could probably do those courses and do well in them, but uh, I don't enjoy engineering. So I switched gears and started doing business school. Uh, once I finished my econ minor and then got into the business school at Rutgers, I quickly realized that all they were teaching me was had nothing to do with business. It was just how to become a manager and eventually get a nine-to-five job. They were teaching me how to be uh, a good worker in corporate America. So I decided that I would kind of condense my classes and started packing on credits and taking summer and winter classes um, just to kind of keep my parents um, satisfied. Uh, I wanted to try something that was kind of on my own time. Mm -hmm. So I ended up graduating a semester early. And in that last semester, I also take a, uh, took a shot at uh, working in corporate America at Johnson & Johnson. So I would literally get up around 7 a.m., um, you know, work out, get breakfast, and then head to my job, which was a co-op for about a year at Johnson & Johnson. Work there till about 5.30, head to class, and class was 6.30 to 9.30. That was my last semester. So I, had, uh, I would do that Monday through Thursday, and then Friday I only had work. Um, working at Johnson & Johnson... I got exposure to micromanagement, bureaucracy, politics in the workplace, and I absolutely hated it. So what Chamel mentioned, uh, the stat that we took at real estate um, back when we were freshmen, and now I'm a senior at this time, I was like, you know what, I don't, I, I, I can't do corporate America. Like, mm -hmm. I hate working for somebody else, and I hate doing things that are ultimately benefiting somebody else and somebody else's dream. I don't want to build their dream. I want to build my own. So what I did was... Um, that co-op wrapped up, and I finished my uh, semester, my last semester at school, which was a semester earlier than everybody else. And I told my parents, I was like, listen, uh, I'm going to go and – because I was still a licensed realtor at that time when I was at Johnson & Johnson, but um, being on campus and having a busy schedule, I wasn't able to drive around. I didn't have a car, so it was very hard to do real estate. So now I graduated a semester early. Now I kind of have ownership of my own time. I don't have work anymore. I don't have school anymore. And I told my parents, like, look, let me just try something out for six months. If it doesn't work, you know, maybe give me another month or two, and then I'll try and I'll start looking for a job. Um, at that time, I had offers from Johnson & Johnson. They had given me a full-time offer. Um, I had gotten an offer from Deloitte, and I had gotten an offer from um, Accenture. And some of these companies, you know, commuting to New York, I, I also didn't want to do that. Sure, it's a little bit fun going into the city, but if you do that day in and day out, I think it kind of takes a toll on you. So you basically had this golden ticket for a lot of people what they want, right? You had all these offers, you had all this opportunity, but yet it wasn't there. No, because I was like, look, I got pretty good at interviewing, so I was like, if I needed to get a job, I think I could do that again, yeah. right? I could just rack up the interviews, um, send my resume out, uh, but let me delay it six months because um, kind of what we were talking about earlier um, when you were talking about the podcast is like, you know, now is the time to start. There, there never be, there'll never ever be a perfect time. Uh, you know, we were talking about kids. I got three kids. You got three kids. You know how busy it gets when you get home. You don't have a second to think by yourself. And I was thinking, you know what? Uh, now is the time to do it. When I don't have any responsibilities, when I'm not married, when I don't have kids, let me take the risk now and let me not take you know the easy way out because I don't enjoy that. I don't like working for somebody else. Just wasn't wired and built that way. So, I. At that time, this was um, this is like 2005, 2006, uh, end of 2004, going into 2005, because I graduated college December of 2004, and I went, um, 
I, I didn't know much about real estate. Uh, you know, YouTube, Facebook, et cetera. They weren't that big, so there wasn't that much content on the internet to just kind of pick up, and there wasn't a lot of guys doing courses and things like that. So I was like, what better place to start than just sales? So I just started off as a realtor, um, did uh, did a little over $100,000 in sales that year. But while I was doing that, um, I started finding some depressed markets that were on the uh, on the uh, on the up and up. Uh, one particular development in New Brunswick, New Jersey, close to where Rutgers University is, um, had some properties that were going up for sale at a deep discount, and there was another building in that same development that had burned down, uh, and they were building that back up new. And I saw that those were closing for about forty or fifty thousand dollars more than what the market was. So I picked up three of those units, knowing that an appraiser is going to probably go off these recent sales, not knowing the history that mm. this thing burned down and then built up a little bit new. That ended up working out really well for me because what I did was I bought um, I, I bought a one-bedroom, and I was literally running my business out of the living room while two of my friends would uh, share the bedroom, and I would rent that out to them. So I was making money on top of uh, the debt service that I had, and they w- and it was just right next to the train station, so they would walk over, and then they would commute to New York. Uh, and then the other two, um, I just did a quick renovation and flip on it. And then um, and then that was kind of like the aha moment. I was like, okay, great. I'm working for myself, but at the end of the day, I don't want to be driving around people on the weekend uh, showing them houses because, you know, I, I just wasn't interested in that. So the money that I made on the flips uh, was pretty much equivalent to what I did in sales. But I was like, look, I'm spending so much less time doing this, yeah. and I can really build – my wealth that way, and that um, you know, fast forward, I would say fast forward about eight years later, that just turned into doing a lot of deals. That um, we were doing a lot of deals where we were buying and selling the same day, so um, or or wholesaling the properties, um, and then started getting into rehabs. Um, I stayed away from the new construction. I kind of liked the low risk model and the quick turn model, so I would do light rehabs and really focus on wholesaling as much as I could. Uh, and then um, as I was accumulating um, good money doing these flips, I just started recycling that into the only thing I knew, real estate. Mm-hmm. So I didn't take the time to re- learn the stock market. Um, I think the only other thing that I've invested in was a little bit of Bitcoin, lost a little bit of money there. But I didn't know anything. I was yeah, just going gold. off what somebody else said. Gold when gold and, was. And gold I lost about, n- not much, but about 10000 But again, going off of somebody else's knowledge. So I was sure. like, you know, like, it's like, I think I understand real estate. Let me manage my own money. And then I just started buying rental properties. And Shema and I, we actually still own two together right now in Plainfield. And we were buying these things at like fifty to 60000 where they're worth like 180000 200000 now. So we bought a couple there, um, you know, make really good returns on them. And then just generational with, which is holding on to them. Um, and... Then uh, about three years ago, um, we were uh, at this time. Shamal had seen what I was doing earlier on. He had uh, uh, he had started doing real estate, started going a different path. And then we were like, "Look, this is kind of like the systems and the processes and the line of business that I'm in." And then he's like, "This is the systems and the processes and the line of business that he's in." And so you had I had a team of, including myself, it was about. Uh, 10 other employees, so a team of 11, and he had about a team of 11. And we were like, do you want to put this thing together? And then so we did. That was November of 2016. So you could imagine, like, at the dinner table, things were weird for, yeah. like, nine years. 
because, you know, we're brothers, but then we're holding some trade secrets. Even though you learn, like, mainstream wholesaling, rehabbing, it's all out there now on YouTube. But we're, like, holding some some nuances, some tricks that you pick up along the way. Family, but you're competing. And, and yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, and so it was, like, weird for nine years yeah. in that sense. Because our backyard is the same, too. We live a mile and a half away. Wow. So I was like, yeah, I picked up a deal uh, across Kids go the to street from together. you. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you know yeah. but it's, you know, it's how you were doing the marketing and stuff. So, yeah, th- there was a little bit of awkwardness, but there, there was um, – because we were so close in the same business, in the same exact market, and so close together, it was like, you know – Whenever we would bump heads and we knew we were bumping heads, we would joint venture. So we would definitely do that. We wouldn't compete yeah, against Yeah, we would compete. Other. We'd collaborate when that happened. If we, if we met in the marketplace and we were, you know, uh, on the same deal, we'd end up collaborating. So, th- so that was good. And we're like, that deal turned out good. That one turned out good. Why don't you just do this long term? Mm-hmm. And I liked, he came to me and said, like, look, let's run a company based off of the philosophy that I'm my brother's keeper. And, like, my hair stood up. When he said that, and I'm um, like, yeah, this Love is that. it. We're going to, you know, build uh, a legacy here for, you know, this is our parents came here. They had a certain specific set of dreams and a pathway for us, right? So I always joke around and say that, you know, if you're Pakistani, Indian, Bangladeshi, uh, you get three options in life. You're either going to be a doctor, an engineer, or a failure. Those are your three options, and we did none of those. Uh, we, we took a completely different entrepreneurial path. Uh, hopefully they're they're proud of what we've uh, done and been able to accomplish. But um, that's what we said. We're going to build something that's, you know, big, leave it for our kids. If they want to join the business, great. If they don't want to join the business, they want to take their own paths, perfectly fine. America is the land of opportunity. There's so much you can do here. Um, and so that's what, we're, that's what we're doing today. So that was November 2016 when we wow. joined forces and, and started building it together. So for a listener that's at that fork in the road, that – has the parents that that have they've been through the tough times they've been through yeah. the when the ups the downs and they've seen it and they 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 feel the security is in that long term job and they feel the security is is finding that that employment that can give you whatever it is your pension or your retirement but that 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 person the son the daughter just doesn't have that passion and knows there's a deeper deeper way that they can go yeah. what do, what do you say to that person I, I can take that question if you don't mind so sure. I, I'm of the and I, I really advocate for the school of thought that, look, if you're working a full-time nine-to-five, right, keep your bills paid, especially if you have responsibilities, if you have kids and so on and so forth. So I'm not one to tell people to jump, you know, both hands and uh, both legs right into real estate. But you do have disposable time, and if it's important for you enough, you will create time. It's, it's about prioritize, you know, prioritizing, not, you know, do I have – 24 hours in a day and how can I, you know, shift things around that you have to do that if you have a dream. And so, uh, that's what I did. I was working in corporate and people would ask me like, do you do real estate or are you in the healthcare business? Right? Like, are, are you working for your corporate? And I'd say it's actually both. I'm, I'm probably putting 40, 50 hours, you know, uh, and, and giving my all in, in the corporate world. But, and I climbed the ladder pretty fast, uh, to the point that you know, I was in my early thirties uh, managing uh, a pretty large PNL for a Fortune 500 healthcare company. I was a global business manager. I was flying all over the country and so on and so forth. It looks really good on a business card. It's very you know uh, nice to look at. But on the other side, I was building something for myself. Yeah. And so my philosophy is keep the bills paid until you've got either a huge pipeline of deals that you can kind of you know uh, lean back on, or residual income that's coming through your real estate assets. 
uh, so that when the time does come, you can peacefully part. I, and I remember it's March 12, 2014 for me. My boss had seen my LinkedIn profile and it was all about real estate. And I'm speaking in front of a huge group of about 150. It was one of our own events. And it was about 150, 200 people. And uh, he said he brings me up to Connecticut, right? We, we met halfway. He lived in Boston. I was in Jersey. And uh, we met at the Marriott. Uh, it's like exit three on 95. I remember it clearly. And we sit down. I open up my laptop. And he says to me, well, you know, just put that away. I thought we were going to go over numbers. Sure. Put that away. Let's, let's talk about your philosophy on life. I'm like, oh, my God. Where so is you this? had no context what this meeting was about? None. No idea. And he said, well, you know, I was on your Facebook, and uh, check it out, your LinkedIn profile, and you do all this stuff in real estate, uh, apparently. I'm like, yeah, no conflict of interest. I do it on the weekends, on my off hours, things like that. You know, things are good here. Um, he said, yeah, well, you know, you got to pick. Uh, he gave me, you know, the blue pill or the red pill. Wow. He was, so that, that's what was going on uh, in that hotel room. And, um, and he said that, look, tomorrow you're going to Colorado Springs. I want you to look at the mountains, think about your life, and <laughs> let me know what you want to do. Because either you're going to double down and we need you to travel more because year one of this new position that I've taken on was to secure the U.S. business. Mm -hmm. But next year, I was going to be in China, Saudi Arabia, Indonesia, Pakistan, Brazil. It was the global business that I was going to be handling next year. And uh, I almost threw up in my mouth because at this point, I had been um, watching my kids grow up on FaceTime. Monday through Thursday, I was on the road. You know, uh, I was a 5 a.m. flight out of Newark Airport every single Monday, uh, trying to be you know, last guy on. Um, and uh, and I, I was done with it. At this point, and I had enough uh, rental income, and you know the business has gotten pretty big at that point. Where on Monday, when when the time did come, and I had that phone call with him, I said, "Look, I'm going to start winding down my responsibilities here," and and then we came up with a transition plan to, to come out of it. And um, so, and I took this guy out for pizza and told him about it, yeah. and uh, best day of my life. Uh, and as a matter of fact, wrote up my resignation letter on my company laptop and let my wife hit the send button. Wow. So it was, uh, uh, that was an interesting uh, day. Uh, and so yeah, I look I, forward I, I'll bring this up because I actually had a conversation yesterday where successful investor and, and his wife is not on board, even though it's, he was, he's able to lead similar thing, right? Yeah. He, he was very high profile position for a company uh, doing magnificent um, and, but had no time for the family. Never saw the family. He's got a, I think he was it a three year old and a one year old and just never sees them. And so he started real estate. He's got, a, you know, 100 units owned just as him mm -hmm. um, down in the southeast. Um, and now, you know, he's left and he has the time to be around his family. But there's, he's not able to parallel that with his wife about why this is a better solution than having the security in the job. How, what was the family dynamic? How to speak to that? Yeah, my, my wife was actually uh, very supportive because, I mean, she had seen the checks come in. I'm sure same with Farhan. So it, it's really in the beginning when they haven't seen it work. Um, but I was a believer when he closed that six-figure deal. I, he was basically known in New Jersey on the speaker circuit as the guy that closes six-figure deals one after another. He closed a $300,000 flip, which we were like, wow, okay, this business absolutely works. It's a real check. They, it actually cashed and you know made it into his account. So we knew it worked. And that that was all there was to it. Um, wow. And and the fact that earlier on, like I said before, I didn't just jump completely into it, although he did. 
and he took a different path on that. Um, make sure that the bills were paid while I was building this. And so when when that time came to make that leap, it w- it was perfect. And you know that was important that she was supportive all along. Yeah. Uh, and, and my wife is uh, she's a stay at home. Um, so is uh, for Hans. So it's allowed us to provide that sort of lifestyle exactly. for them. Now, you're both leaders. You're both very active in what you do. And so to come together, many times that's 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 the fallout, right? Because you both have your own ways and you both have your own perspectives, and now you're aligning forces. How did you set up from a partnership side? Because you're, you're both very successful working together. How, how did you set that up so there was there was clear roles and values? And, and so we'll go back to um, I'm my brother's keeper, which is really yeah. powerful, right? And you, and you both came up with that. Well, how did you set this up so there wasn't that – that ultimate failure from the beginning. So I, I can take that question. So um, first, um, uh, we went in 50-50 because obviously that's, uh, you know, we thought that was the right way to do it based on what he was bringing to the t- table and what I was bringing to the table. Um, but before we kind of understood who was doing what roles, there was a lot of overgrowth in the company because remember I said that there was 11 people from my side, including me, mm-hmm. and 11 people from his side coming in. Uh, a 22-person operation, um, there was redundancies, and uh, it, we just didn't need that many people. And there was a lot of things that we were doing in the business that were not our core competencies. So I would say it took about a good year to understand, uh, maybe even a year and a half to understand who uh, – we kind of knew who we were, but we didn't really know what Apex was, right, because that was the new company that was born. And – we are down to a team of nine now. So, you know, we got rid of more than half of those people. Um, we had no business whatsoever being in the property management business. I mean, we got pretty good at it by the time, um, you know, before we met uh, Slate, who we partnered up with. Uh, but that's just not who we were. That's not what our core competency is. And that was really just kind of uh, bringing us down from what our goals were, which were to find really good deals that make sense for our clientele. Uh, and do that transactional side of the business, and then also grow our personal rental portfolio. Um, so once we had uh, once we had merged, uh, we quickly started looking at where the redundancies were, where we were losing money, and what we did not need to do, and who just wasn't an A player, uh, who did not have Apex DNA running through them. And as we started shedding, um, you know, the people that just weren't a good fit. Um, that took uh, it took a year because you're doing so many transactions and it's kind of like I need this project manager because we got like we're closing like three to four deals a week because um, you know um, maybe about a year and a half we went uh, we dived into a town called Willingboro where in, in, in about a year and a half we closed about 110 112 properties there wow. and each of them needed a thirty to forty thousand dollar renovation to get them to that turnkey status that we wanted to offer them at. And to do that, there's a lot of blue-collar workers you got to manage, mm-hmm. uh, the plumbers, the electricians, the, tra- the other tradesmen. And those guys are not very systematic to deal with, so you need uh, a white-collar worker to kind of manage them. Yeah. So we had all these deals coming in, and we're like, well, you know, really one of these three project managers that we have on payroll is really up to par. The others aren't. And, um, you know, but slowly but surely we got both of them out, but it's like, I remember we got rid of the last one in June of uh, of this year. So, you know, right going right into the summer, and it's like, man, he's got this many projects. How on earth are we going to take this on? Yep. And 
there was always a sense of uh, being in the dark with his projects because you kind of don't know what you're going to expect. And um, if you have a team member that's like that in your organization, it, it just, you got to rip the bandit off. Because yeah. once we did that, we were like, damn, we are so freaking busy, but we're not confused anymore. And you're we free. Know, we're free. We know what's going on. Yep. We know what's ahead of us. We're getting clear updates. And now, like, that team is there, right? And we have good revenues coming in, uh, but we still have some of the problems from the past that we're dealing with, you know, because we always want to do right by our investors. And, you know, we're handling and we're cleaning them up and we're liquidating those assets for them. But it's like now that we got this team and this noise will kind of, uh, you know, it'll kind of die down, um, we're going to go and we're going to absolutely crush it, as we're doing now. But once you're crushing it with the right team and with almost zero problems, yeah. you know, sky's the limit. Exactly. So in that mess and in kind of merging and kind of just putting everything together, we learned uh, what he's better at, what I'm better at, and we kind of split up the roles. So we actually don't intersect in our roles at all, so we're not butting heads at all. Mm -hmm. There's so much to do in the business, and we kind of split it up, uh, and, and I'll get into that a little bit more. Um, but that, that year of uh, kind of going through those growing pains and figuring out who we were as a joint company, as Apex, who we were, um, it, it took all that cleanup and that scaling down and kind of figuring out who we were to figure out what our own personal roles were. Yeah, and so, you know, I just have to say, so I don't know where yeah. Willingboro is, but if you think about 110 transactions for where you're putting 30 or 40 thousand uh, dollars into each house here, I'm assuming houses, right? Yeah. Let's, let's just think about the overall greater impact of what Apex is doing, right? Yeah. You're bringing value. You're turning around a, a town, which I don't know how many houses are there, but you think about all the jobs you're providing, yeah. all the new real estate you're providing, all the value you're creating there. I, that's massive. And so when, when people think about this, just in a point of, oh, so they're defining all these discounted deals. Well, Potentially, but what is the bigger impact? All these people are getting these jobs, consistency in jobs. Sure. Like the greater the greater trend of what you're going to do to the community there is amazing. So just taking that one town into consideration, there was 11,400 homes there, Wow, right? And 400 were vacant because wow. the town keeps a list of uh, vacant properties. Those that they obviously know about, there might be more. And we made a huge dent in that. About 30% of that is our homes that we took on, renovated them, Put, put people into them, and, and the town actually came back in a very big way. Sure. Where we started to create the market there. And as the buzz got out, other rehabbers came in, and everybody's trying to outdo one another. So the valuations on these properties, I mean, Willingboro for the longest time hadn't seen homes above $200,000. Mm. And now homes started going over $200,000 because of that. And that, that level of activity, the permits being pulled, and so on and so forth. So we were on the ground doing a lot of that work, not just only creating the jobs, but um, we got the attention of the mayor and, and you mm -hmm. know all of the construction officials. Bringing tax revenue online. There's new businesses want to come there because there's now more people to serve. Yeah. Everything just gets an uphill. Absolutely. Right? So just you know that one town, we brought $9.6 million worth of capital wow. in there to just kind of rejuvenate it and bring wow. it back to life. Um, and so and now you can't find a deal there. Yeah. You know, you yeah. got to a point where we were finding you know, four or five deals a week. Yep. Um, and now, you know, the, the cat's out the bag and uh, everybody's there trying to do deals and they've kind of pushed the prices up so it doesn't make sense yeah, for I'm us proud anymore. of that, guys. That's like, you, but, you look uh, back 10, 20 years from now, yeah. and, you know, like that town is, you, you started the snowball, right? Yeah. At whatever point you're at, you started the snowball. Yep. Yeah, That's absolutely. So so we duplicated that in Toledo, Ohio. Which, wow. You know, uh, we've had no issue jumping on a plane and 
opening up a new market, and that was one that we were kind of studying. What, uh, what stood out to you about Toledo? So I had uh, I was speaking on a panel, um, and another gentleman uh, was talking about Toledo. So I went out and visited it about two years ago, and deals would hit my inbox, and I'd look at it. And what really happened, it came out of a need for investors in our buyer pool that didn't necessarily have the hundred or two hundred thousand dollars cash sitting, but they certainly had thirty, thirty-five thousand, forty thousand dollars, and they just wanted to get started with real estate investing, right? Um, and and so it was a good pitch for millennials that you know working in good jobs uh, in their early twenties uh, or mid twenties that wanted to own rental real estate. So we went into that market to have an offering for those type of folks. So what we typically do is we go in every property that is um, essentially wholesale, we buy it ourselves. So we go out, we buy it in bulk. We'll, we'll speak to tired landlords and so on. Um, that got us into multifamily also. So we, you know, we bought a nine unit apartment building for ourselves out there that we kind of uh, did some renovations on eventually sold it. Um, and so, so that's what it's been. And, and, and this is going to probably be our play for the next you know, near future is, going to these markets that are emerging, um, find that trend, and uh, and then really plant our flag there and do about 100 properties. Because I feel that within 100 properties, you'll figure out all of the nuances, uh, you know, how to deal with the township, all of the inner workings of how to really be an expert in that one market instead of spreading ourselves too thin. Um, there's 400 rental markets in the United States of America. You could be in Atlanta. You could be in Houston. Mm-hmm. You know, people want us to go all over the place and open up shop, but you know, we're, we're taking our time and going deep rather than going wide. Yeah, I love that. So, guys, this has been awesome. Just listening to the rise and how you both come together. I just I want to jump over to our snap action questions right here. Just be short form sure. questions right there. Um, Brian, what's the, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Gotta think about that for a second. Um, sure. I mean, one thing that comes to mind is, uh, and I wouldn't say this is the best, but um, a long, long time ago, um, a friend of my father um, just told me that because he, he knew at that time when I was in college, I was going to go into business. Mm-hmm. And he said that, listen, if just remember this, if it wasn't written down, it's like if it was it, it's it's as if it wasn't said. So whatever agreement that you're doing, whether it's with your brother, uh, with another family member, with somebody that you're going into business don't go off of verbal agreements because there's so many scenarios, there's so many nuances to any type of business partner relationship that you want to get everything down in writing. So um, that it, honestly, that's just the first thing that clicked in my mind when you mm-hmm. asked me that. It's a very deep question, but uh, uh, I'm not sure if that's the best, but that's definitely something that I've tried to stay true to. You know, yeah. whoever, like we just brought in, I think, um, 150000 and that's going to turn into three fifty someone yesterday in capital mm-hmm. first thing i do we dot loop and send the agreement over yeah, get sure. that signed before i take the money so amazing i've kind of followed that to a t yeah it, it's it's having protocol sticking to your protocol and letting it be the business instead of just figuring it out and then later on not understanding what you did so it, exactly and yeah. it's really for the other person if, if that other person is not in business um they don't understand the nuances and stuff so you want to make sure that you have templates and you get that down on paper and you present it present yeah. that to them and make them sign before you move forward with that, whatever that business venture is and whatever capacity that you're dealing with that person. Right? Yeah, and it makes it both queer, right? Because you may say something and they may hear something different. Correct. And then on that point, if it's not done on paper, they say, oh, well, I thought you meant... Exactly. And then there's some sour taste to it, right? Exactly. So exactly. Oh, that's great. Um, Shema, what's, what's a talent you wish you possess? That a wish that I possess? Yeah. Um, 
it's the talent that he has, which is being able to sit down and have the patience to go through numbers. So I'm more big picture, let's expand and and do more business development and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Hans, attention to detail is um, impeccable. Um, and I wish that was something that I had, you know, the, the patience and the ability to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we both went to business school and looked at spreadsheets and all of that. But, you know, he, he really knows how to dig deep into the numbers. He'll cross-check, recheck, recheck it again uh, to the point that it's OCD. Uh, but because of that, we've caught, you know, mistakes, uh, underwriting uh, uh, issues that could have happened, and we didn't go into a deal because of that and, and, and saved us. So I, I wish that was something that I possessed. But that's why this uh, union works so well uh, because I'm, I'm on the you know on the one side and we don't butt heads there and yeah. he's on the other side. And then we're able to also provide constructive criticism to one another when we see it as a third person, third party, that, hey, I think you could have done this better. And, and neither of us takes it as a hit to our ego. Mm-hmm. We know that it just makes the overall team better. What's a lesson you've learned throughout this that has excelled your real estate career? First thing that comes to mind. Yeah, so um, I like to think about my answer to my answer, but uh, I, I think one of the things, uh, one of the lessons that I've definitely learned that's very applicable in this market is y- you got to do something different. You got to be unique. I mean, there is so much uh, competition out there right now. There's so much, for lack of a better word, stupid money out there. I mean, uh, there's a county in New Jersey. It's about 30 minutes uh, north of here, Middlesex County, and there are, like, sheriff sales have changed. Um, what they're doing now is they are disclosing what the upset balance is, basically what the bank wants. Um, and it's just kind of made it a little bit easier for the public to go in. So I remember about four or five months ago, I was going in there, and I, I was ready to buy. So I had about $300,000, and $300,000 was just deposit money. So that'll actually buy me $1.5 million worth of real estate. And I went in there with $300,000, and I walked out with $300,000 because people are overbidding by $60,000, $70,000 of what my max value is. So in a market like this, you just can't keep doing the same things over and over again. So um, one of the things that um, – one of the lessons that I've learned is you've got to kind of take a step back from your daily operations, figure out what you're doing, figure out what the market is doing, and figure out what everybody else is doing and do something different. And, and it may only be a millimeter, right? Sure. And, and one of the things for us was, and, and I wish that I did this uh, and I continue to do it 10 years ago, but I kind of stopped on, um, I, I know with, um, you know, with the internet and everything, things, uh, you know, with Facebook, Google marketing, um, it, it, you kind of get that shiny ball syndrome because, you know, everybody's doing it and they're making a lot of money on the internet. But for motivated sellers that want to sell at a discount, I think nothing works like direct mail. Yeah. And we really got back into that. And... Um, uh, on that side, again, that's spreadsheets, right? Because it's data and you're filtering it. So I started, you know, we started really filtering our list and doing um, three to four pain points of scenario. Mm-hmm. And instead of attacking 5,000 people one time, we're attacking maybe 1,000 people seven times. Yeah. And it seems like in just the last two months, that strategy alone has brought in like $200,000 worth of revenue. And it's because I took a pause, took a step back, and said, hey, listen, I can't keep doing the same things that mm-hmm. we were doing last year because we're not getting three to four deals in Willingboro anymore. Something's got to change. Let me look at a different avenue. Let me look at something that other people are not doing. So, you know, having 
especially in a competitive market, you got to be unique. You got to be different. Right. You got to figure out if something is not working anymore the way that it was working. You got to abandon it uh, and be adaptable and willing to change. Yeah, it's the Blockbuster example, right? Blockbuster just said, "Nope, this is it." And even though you know we're doing great, Absolutely. it wasn't thinking about how it's going to reflect going forward. And it's taking that time and having that moment to just say. Okay, yeah, we're still doing deals, but is this the highest and best use of our time, right? So last question before uh, we we tell the listeners how to reach out for you. What's your best tip for success? Best tip for success, um, study up. Uh, So get fully, you know, educated and knowledgeable on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Have the uh, gumption to do something different, as Farhan was mentioning, uh, to go in different directions. And uh, and then after that, it's just cliche, but... Absolutely massive action, right? Yes. Roth Waldo uh, Emerson said, do the thing and you shall have the power. You got to get into the motion of, of doing the business. So if you're just somebody that's just starting out, whatever that you just learned in your weekend course, you got to go out and implement it. Love and it. then you will learn along the way. It's on-the-job sure. training, uh, a lot of this stuff. Make a lot of contacts. Absolutely change your network. Uh, you know, our industry is one where, you know, meetups are set up just to – educate you on this stuff you can meet so many people that are so far ahead of you um or they might be in the same boat as you but you know if you link up with those folks uh they'll there's a there's a you know in the real estate investment community i feel like there's a give back component where people are willingly uh wanting to share what they've learned along the way uh, and they're willing to pull you up and they'll share that information for free so take people to out to coffee pick their brains you know learn from them and then see which path you want to go. And then after that, double down and, and go for it. Take the action. Guys, this has been awesome. Thank you okay. so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for sharing your story. It's been incredible. For listeners, what's the best way to reach out, find you, find more about you and your company? Jason, thanks for having us on. It's been a pleasure. Um, our uh, uh, website is www.investwithapex.com. Investwithapex.com. You can uh, contact us there. Um, and uh, you can also send us an email at info at investwithapex.com. Amazing. Guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been really amazing. I love just how you both work together, how you both grown together, how you both took your separate routes but and found your way back together and just the change that you're having on communities. Thank you again. Thank thanks you, Jason. It's awesome. This is Jason with the Real Estate Foundation. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.